Our reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 55. If you would like a church Bible, Martin is poised with some, and it is on page 743. Chapter 55, starting at verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. We move forward to chapter 57, starting at verse 14 to the end of the chapter. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry, for then they would faint away because of me the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger, yet they kept on in their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. We're, we're just finishing up a series this morning, the month of January. It's been a busy one. It's a bit like a flywheel where everything starts up in the life of the church. Um, and because of that, and because of our age as a church, we're four and a bit years old, we've been looking at these three Three and a half words, we, we kind of cheated last week, as is my desire in most things, especially board games, and we put in between community and mission, we put in how the church relates to the world. That's what we looked at last week. But we've been spending time looking at these three values under the table of why we do what we do, why we don't do certain things, because of what we believe God has said to us in the Bible. That's, that's why we, and how we operate as a church. God has spoken a gospel, a final, historical, definitive, saving word in the person of Jesus that's created a new people. Every person that's part of the new community of God 
has been converted. They, they've, they've changed, not by themselves. It's not a matter of external behavior or being more respectable or going to a certain place. God has changed the heart of every man and woman who is a Christian in this church gathering, and that makes a new community, a new people. Am I okay on this? Kind of, bit of a wiggle. How's that? Better? We'll see. Um, but we don't, we're not just saved by God to be a new people looking in at our navel. God sends us out. He gives us a new purpose, new priorities, but I'm not using P's, I'm using M's. He sends us out on mission with a message. But when it comes to Christians being sent out, often I think we see, or I see, mission is just another thing to do. When it comes to mission and understanding the mission of God to take God's good news out to a lost world, to a needy world, when it's explained to us, it can be explained as another thing you must do. And if you don't do it, you're kind of substandard. If you don't do it, or if you do do it well, then God will love you more. If you do it worse, God will love you. Or if you do it worse, God will love you less. And, and, and that's not true. And so I want us to think about these three, these three M's of the mission that God receives, the message that God gives us to share gladly, and the motivation and the power that we have so that we can share it in God's strength. Let's look at the mission. Isaiah chapter 53, 55 verse 3 says this, Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. I will revive your insides. I'm going to give you a new heart. Not about externals, going to the right place, going on pilgrimage, giving lots of money so that God will be more pleased with you, so you can get in his good books, so that you can erase your misdemeanors of the past. The whole gospel that Isaiah sees, Isaiah 53 through to 60, is about a new heart that by God's spirit, God changes us from the inside out. Then verses 3 to 5, there's the language of covenant, this new covenant relationship that God promised to David centuries before Jesus came. David, I want you to be a witness to the nations. That's down in verse 3, verse 4. I've made you a witness to the peoples. And every Christian who receives the good news of Jesus has the same call, has the same privilege to take the message of God to the nations. I want to summon you to be the same witness type person with the same gospel that I promised to David that centered on Jesus, it's now your privilege to take that to the needy nations as well. And that, that, that word, witness, is so important. It has the same uh, meaning in Hebrew that it does in English. So you can be a witness. You are an expert witness if you, are, if you get to a certain stage in your field of medicine or law or uh, science. You can be called upon to be an expert witness in a court of law. We need your help to tell us if what they're saying is true or false. That's the meaning of the word witness. You know your stuff and you can testify. To say that in a Denzel Washington accent, you know, testify. You, you should testify that what they're saying is true or plausible or possible. The other meaning of the word witness is, is when someone is signing a legal document, maybe a marriage ceremony, maybe a house purchase. You need someone to say, yes, I saw you doing it, therefore you can go ahead and fulfill the promises that you've made. Someone else is doing something, so it's legal documentation. And God is saying, verses uh, 1 to 7, 
you as my people, I'm sending you out to the nations to tell the nations about the life-changing, world-changing power of my grace. And it's inside out. Your witnesses. David was called to be a witness to what I've done to my people. And now you are called to be a witness, not just to Israel, but to the nations. Now this uh, little passage is not as if Isaiah was thinking, oh, what shall I write today? I'll, I'll write something about mission. This message and this mission is consistent throughout the whole Bible. So it's then in the first book of the Bible when God speaks to Abraham, Genesis 12. Abraham, I want you to leave your self-sufficiency. I want you to leave your security. I want you to leave the place and the language that you know and love. And I want you to go and I want you to trust me. He sent Moses, uh, Abraham out. He sent Moses out too. Moses was called in the time of Pharaohs in the book of Exodus. And he says, I want you to, to come to me and take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And I want you to see and understand who I am. But then Moses is sent, not to the nations, he's sent to Pharaoh pretty soon after. And then that's uh, Abraham and that's Moses. And then Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, the start of the book we've been spending time in, in the month of January. When Isaiah sees this amazing, awe-inspiring, fear-inducing revelation of God's person and character, he trembles. His sins are forgiven. It's this intimacy with God like no one else has seen in the Old Testament. And then God says, enough of that, go. Go with the message that you've received. Jesus, the Lord Jesus says, as the Father has sent me to you, I'm going to send you out. Someone's put it like this, God is a spiritual tornado. When anyone is drawn to the person and work of God in Jesus, it's never just self-edifying. It's never internal and spiritual navel-gazing to make you feel better about yourself. God calls you and he draws you in so that he can send you out. That's how the gospel works. And so Christians, Christians are witnesses, but we're also sent ones. If you're a into Latin, I'm not. But the word mission means sent ones. You're, you're a sent person. Christians are sent people. We're not to settle down in our minds or in our hearts. We're sent ones. And so with the newness of heart that the Spirit of God brings, we're new people, and so we're called to live sacrificially. That's what we thought about last week. Live wisely in the world. And so tear funds work with all their energy and all the resources people entrust to them as the hands and feet of God in his world. Christians are called to go out and to care, called to go out for the causes of social justice, called to go out with a message about a sacrificed saviour called Jesus. And boy, doesn't this whack us around the head in our self-centred world, our, our selfie-centred world? Christians are called not to get more for yourself, but to give. Christians are called to be obsessed with God's kingdom, not our own priorities. Christians are called to die so that others might live. Christians are called to serve rather than focusing on ourselves. And all the other ways that you can think about, doesn't that just bang up against the message of our culture and of our society? Settle down, you've earned it. God draws you in so that he might send you out, thinking about other people's needs first rather than your own. And that could be your neighbour. That could be someone in the other part of Epsom or Yule. It could be a, a needy person in your class at secondary school. 
It could be the other side of the world. But it's commitment to the gospel and to Jesus rather than comfort. It's risk-taking rather than being risk-averse. That's the mission that God calls his people to. But not only that, number two. Not just the mission that God places on our hearts. He gives us a message about his son to share. It's the second point. He gives us not just a mission to go out with, but a message to share. Look at uh, verses 1 to 3, please. Look at verse 1. See how it says about the message. Four times in the first verse it says, Come, come if you are thirsty. Come to me, come to me. Come and buy, come and buy wine. Come all of you. Look at verse 2, sentence 2 of Isaiah 55. Twice we see the word listen. Listen, listen to me. Look at sentence 3. Give ear, hear me. In other words, it's not just a message that we receive. It's not just data that's downloaded into the back of our head like the matrix. Red, blue, which tablet do you want? You get a message downloaded into the back of your skull. This is not just data. This is a message about a person that we believe volitionally. We understand with our heads, but it affects our hearts and our actions. It changes everything if we believe the message about Jesus. But look at sentence 7. It's not just message that, that we understand. It affects our heart and our behavior. Verse 7. Forsake your way and turn to the Lord. That's, a, that's the language of change, of conversion. Not just of a, an outward conformity. That's talking about forsaking your way. The, the way is your behavior. Your, the way is your intentionality and your direction and a goal. Your behavior is always affected by something deeper. Your behavior is affected not by a balloon, but by what the balloon points to. Your behavior is always affected by your heart. Proverbs says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But it's not just words. Out of the overflow of the heart, everything happens. So communication always has a goal. What do you want to achieve with that body language, teenager? What do you want to achieve with the slow eye blink? What do you want to achieve with that turn of phrase? What is the goal of your communication? But then what is the goal of your life? Slightly bigger question. What are you trying to achieve? All our actions have goals. All our words have meaning. And that all stems from the roots of our very selves, which is our heart. It's the soul. Nefesh is the, the posh Hebrew word. Sentence 2 and 3 says that. I'm going to give your soul delight and satisfaction. God is going to do something. I'm going to give your soul life. In other words, it was dead. But I'm going to give it life. The heart, as Dave said so helpfully, it's the seat of your emotions. It's the, the eunice of you. It's the, if you're a computer, which you're not, it would be your CPU. Your central processing unit. It's where your decisions are made. It's where your priorities are formed. It's where your goals are uh, made and decided upon. Everything that is the unit of you, the essence of your life, is your soul, which is another way of saying your heart. It's not just data. Verses 1. Come, come, come. Listen, verse 2. Give your ear to me. Hear me. Turn. Forsake your way and turn to the Lord. Repent. Turn around. It's this new community with changed hearts from the inside, and that affects what we do on the outside. 
And when you have a new heart, it doesn't just change what you believe in. It changes what your heart seeks, what you long for, what you're aiming for, what you're seeking to achieve. It's your beliefs, it's your commitments, it's your, it's your hopes. Now let's slow down. All of us have something in our heart of hearts that we think, if I could have that, I would be happy. Normally it's chocolate. Normally it's the sofa. Normally it's um, Netflix Unlimited. Binge time. I've deserved it. But actually chocolate is not about the chocolate for me. It's about comfort. Then I eat a whole, I kid you not, a whole packet of after eights and then the dentist calls later in that month. But it might be chocolate, but it might be success. Everything we do is aimed for success. It might be achievement. It might be reputation. It might be a longing for a clean house. I just want a clean house. I just want order. I want order to my life and it's chaotic. Now, you can do without chocolate. You can. You really can. Maybe for Lent. But there's something in your heart of hearts that is a non-negotiable something that you long for, that you're trying to achieve and win. That you can say, chocolate can go, but I can never be happy without that. That's what controls us. That's the control center of our hearts and minds. It controls the decisions we make, the places we go, how we spend our money, how we raise our children if we're blessed to have kids. It changes everything, how we use our time, what we prioritize, what we watch, what we don't. Our heart is so, so important. And all of us have a strong heart commitment to something. Family is so easy. The middle class lifestyle is a great example. I want that. I've seen the magazine. So I will work really hard to get the resources, the money that I need to get that because then people will think well of me. Then I'll fit in an Epsom because at the minute I don't. I've got this car and I want that car. I'm at that school and I want my kids to go to that place. And I need money to do it. Do you see, being a Christian, God says, is not just about externals. It's, it's not that at all. It's about a heart that's changed. So that unless God is on your heart, something else is. Something else is ruling and reigning there. And being a Christian changes what your heart seeks and values, what it prioritizes. It's there in sentence one and two. It's, there's a metaphor here that we need to think about carefully. What is the heart after? Come, all of you who are thirsty... Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come and buy wine, I'll have some of that, and milk without money and without cost. We're all hungry, and there's the image of hunger, bread and water, the, the main things of life, the core ingredients of life. You're after something to make you happy, so what is your bread? What is your water? That's the question. What's mine? We're all seeking something. We're all quenching our thirst with something. We're all quenching our longings in our stomachs in some way. We're all laboring for something. And if it is not Jesus, you will be worn out and weary very, very soon. Unless it's me, says God, you're going to starve. Unless it's me, you're always going to be thirsty. You're always going to be hungry. And all of us says there is something that we long for. And even if we're a Christian, God can be too small for us and there can be something sharing the ruling center of our lives. Comfort is easy to identify. Power is more subtle but equally dangerous. I just want to be a someone. I want, a power. I want power. I don't want to be Boris. 
I don't want to be Donald, who does? I don't even want to be Her Majesty. You may not be a royalist, but I want power in my sphere of influence, and I'll do anything to get it, because I want to be a someone. Everyone in our hearts has something, romance. I want to be loved by someone. I want to be accepted by someone. I want to have a claim. I want people to think well of me. That's your bread. That's your water. See how it works? When you become a Christian, it changes what your heart seeks, but not just that. It changes how your heart seeks it. There's a second point that's very close. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, why spend money on what is not bread and labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. God is not just saying, come to me. Come to me and, and put me in the CPU of your heart and mind. So you've got the message and then you're going to go out and share it with other people. He's also contrasting the way we can get to that point of satisfaction and joy and delight. That's the difference. It's grace and labor. Notice that word in verse 1 and 2. Come and receive without cost. It's grace to receive it freely, or will you labor trying to get it that won't satisfy, that won't quench your thirst in your own strength? It's religion and it's works. It's grace and it's labor. It's received without cost, or it's you doing all you can so that you work hard to get what you think will satisfy. Whatever you're laboring for will crush you unless you see the one who labored for you on the cross, who's Jesus. I was with someone in a car this week for a long time, and it was very interesting as we talked to see just how everything they had decided in their life on this long journey was an overflow of their hearts. It wasn't one car, it was two cars. It was two cars that needed to be sold to get a better car. It was not a certain pair of wellies with one label on it. It was a, a country club that wanted to be joined and attended to. Very kind of upper-class upper aims and priorities. Where does that come from? It's an overflow of the heart. Unless we'd be proud, it's just the same if we're working-class roots as well. We have the same uh, issues of needing a new, redeemed, rescued heart. And the choice is, will you seek to get security and satisfaction? Will you seek to get bread and water through your own resources, or will they come from somewhere else? Will you keep on laboring, or will you receive what God has given to us in Jesus? It's pretty radical, pretty challenging. Is God on the throne of your heart? Does he share it with something else? Is it a synchronism where you share it with someone else? Like the kings of the Old Testament, very often. Because if we know God this deeply and value him this much, and our heart longings are satisfied in the same way that Isaiah speaks of, it will propel us out with this message. You don't have to labor, you can rest. You don't have to work, you can receive. You don't have to wonder if you're loved. I loved you from here to the moon, or rather from here to the cross and back. It's the message that we've got to share. It's not about performance, it's about receiving Christ's perfection. Pretty radical, very amazing far too good to keep to ourselves. But as Christians, we do. We don't want to share. We want to keep it to ourselves as the precious because we're afraid of people more than convinced that we need to love them and tell them of the future that is certain and the hope in Jesus that is secure. 
So where do we get the motivation for the mission and the message? It's here as well in verse 3. Here's the motivation to get the message out. Give ear, come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Now I think here, Isaiah does something that uh, we find a bit of an issue with. He assumes his readers know the Bible far better than we do. Because there's the word there, covenant. Dave's been reading a couple of books on this all week. It's a very, very important word in the Bible. Through the Bible, God makes a covenant, a promise, a, a solemn oath with, with wonderful uh, promises and with severe consequences with, with a number of people. There's, there's one to, to Adam, there's one to Moses, there's one to Abraham, and there's certainly a new one to Jesus. That God promises in the place of hearts of stone to give his people hearts of flesh, and his spirit will not be taken away from certain people anymore, but it will dwell in the heart of every single believer, boy or girl, man or woman, whether you're from the tribe of Israel or if you're from a different tribe in the world. Everybody will be there in heaven, represented from, representatives rather from every tribe and tongue and nation who trust Jesus. And as you go through the covenants, it's, it's a bit interesting because it looks like a relationship with God is possible. If you just do this, it's conditional. If you do this, then you can have a relationship with God. And at some points, it looks like specifically people in Israel will have a relationship with God because they're doing what God says. They're keeping the rules. They're keeping the commandments. They're doing the right things. So it looks like a relationship with God is possible with our own resources, with our own efforts, with our own obedience. It's, it's a conditional covenant. But then there are other times in the Bible where it looks like the covenant, the promise between man and God is, is unconditional. Where it looks like God is saying to his people, I will love you no matter what. I will never turn my back on you. You have not got the resources to keep the covenant, so I will keep it for you. And there's kind of a tension in the Bible. All through the Old Testament, is our relationship with God possible? Is it possible with our own resources, so it's conditional on us? Or is it unconditional, where it's all dependent on him? And that tension builds and builds and builds like a symphony until this huge clash of symbols, which is the cross of Jesus. No, it's not possible. You cannot keep the commands of God. You need someone to rescue you. You need someone to save you. You need someone to seek you. You're not even looking for God yourself. You need God to rescue you purely because he loves you. I mean, what you say just before you're about to die really matters. Spike Milligan apparently said, I told you I was ill. I love that. What a great last sentence. But here's a serious one. Apparently Buddha said, strive without ceasing. Keep working. Keep working. Work hard. Do all you can. Labor, labor, labor. That's what Buddha said. This is what Jesus said. It's finished. I've accomplished it. You can rest because I labored. You can put all your striving down because I obeyed every command that my Father sent to you perfectly. I did what you couldn't, and I won. I succeeded. I'm the new Adam that we've sung about already. And on the cross, Jesus fulfilled the conditions of every covenant so that we could have God's love unconditionally. So here's the question. Is your relationship with God conditional or unconditional? Yes. 
It's yes, because in this passage there's a tension. Verse 1. Come and buy without cost. You think, well, wait a minute. If it's without cost, you just take it. What do you mean, buy without cost? I think Isaiah 55 is true because the cross is true. It's incredibly expensive to Jesus, and so it can be absolutely free to you. That's the only way to put these two things together. How can we, as a little church with a hundred or so of us, take the message out into our lost community with all our weaknesses and foibles to the degree we see this? How can we create time in our diary so that we don't have to keep working long hours because we're not after the middle-class lifestyle because we see this and we can rest in who we are? How can we work hard so that we can give our resources away because we can see this and we see through the promises that money promises? But it's not about middle-class lifestyle. It's not about schooling or even money. I think the real problem we have, that I have, is pride is pride. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, there's a lovely sentence that Matthew read to us. God says, I am the high and lofty one who dwells in the high and holy place. I dwell in the heavens and also with anyone who's humbled, with the lowly, with the contrite. Here is Jesus who paid all the penalty, all the price so that we can enjoy bread and water for free but it's very expensive because of what he did. Here's Jesus who did the longest journey the world has ever known from eternity past. He planned to come from heaven to earth, from the earth to the cross, and from the cross to a tomb, from the tomb to the right hand of his father. What a journey. And he did that. And the only thing that's in the way for you for not becoming a Christian this morning is your pride. That's what you need to lay down. It's our pride. It's my pride that doesn't want to admit that I'm loved. It's my pride and your pride that doesn't want to admit that the only way we're going to get loved is if it's free, if it's gracious. We can't earn it. We can't scrub ourselves up. We can't do the right things. The only way that we can be loved is if we lay our pride down and we accept God's unconditional love. Jesus' perfect record on our behalf. Someone's put it like this. All you need is need. All you need is need. All you need is to admit that you've got nothing, that you can't earn it. You can't earn God's favor. It's knowing that it's so expensive and yet it's free because of Jesus. It's that tension there again. Knowing it was conditional yet unconditional. So this lovely sentence, I am more wicked than I ever dared believe and I'm more loved than I ever dared hope. That's only true because of the cross. And that's the message we have the privilege to share with our neighbours, with our family, with our work colleagues. That's what will make me more of a person of mission, a person that sees it not as something that we need to do, but as a privilege that we have from the risen Lord Jesus to take out the message short-term, long-term, to do whatever it costs. Because I'm just a sinner who's sharing about the grace of King Jesus. I'm so flawed that Christ had to die for me and for you. I'm not going to feel superior to anybody. I'm going to talk to anyone I can about Christianity. I'm not somebody because of something I've done. I've not lived a better life. I don't have better doctrine. I don't have a better anything. If I'm anything, it's because of the grace of God. I'm not going to look down on anybody 
But equally, I'm not going to be scared of what anyone thinks. That's what stops a lot of us sharing our faith. Because when you're a Christian, this sentence is true. The gospel of Jesus humbles us so that we can no longer be superior to anybody else. You're never going to look down at people you think you shouldn't talk to because you're better than them. That will never happen when you grasp the gospel. But equally, you're so affirmed, you're so raised up by God's grace that you're not afraid to talk to anybody about the hope that there is in Jesus. This will make us men and women of mission. It has to. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God that we have the privilege of sharing. To finish, Paul says in Ephesians 2, one sentence, he says, you are God's workmanship. You've been created for certain good deeds that God wants you to walk in, to do. So there are hands that only you can hold. You're God's fingerprints. There are people that only you can reach. There are sorrows that God has led you into in your life that will enable you to share in someone else's pain in a way that I can't. Your experience, your age, all those different parts makes you God's hands and feet in a lost world. And there are certain people that God wants you to reach with your life with this wonderful message. And so God says to us, go and be a witness to the nations. And we're called to be a witness here in Epsom and Yule and then to the ends of the earth. Let's pray.